Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. We believe this is a relevant message. All right, and there we go. My camera's out on that side. We're going to stay on this camera. We got to pray for that camera. It just decides not to work whenever we're live here. But I really, really do believe right now, guys, that we are in the last days. I believe it's more apparent than ever. If there's any time in history that we should know what does the book of Revelation have to say, and we should be prepared and we should be ready for the rapture, for the coming of our Lord, it's right now. I mean, you don't even have to be a prophetic scholar to understand that we are living in the last days. It's like you don't even have to turn on the news anymore you have to turn off the news it's every single day am i the only one come on chat where are you every single day it's something new every single day it's another earthquake another war another hurricane another storm another disease another mass shooting i feel like i can't even turn on my phone without getting a news alert of another crazy thing happening it's non-stop and these are the signs that jesus talked about he says as the days get closer you have to understand the signs are going to get sooner and you have to know that the time is short that when you see these things you need to understand come on if you're taking notes the time is short now it's not just about the signs that we're seeing it's about the closeness of the signs how close together are the signs the time between the signs getting shorter and shorter shows us that we're racing towards the end of time remember we are in the last days but we're racing towards the end times romans chapter 8 verses 22 for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up into the present time. And so what Paul is saying is the earth is in labor. Friend, if you're wondering what's going on with this virus and what's going on with the hurricanes and what's going on with the war in Afghanistan, what's going on with this, what's these are all labor pains. These are all contractions, contractions. The earth is actually in labor right now. It's having contractions and the closer, come on, I got four kids. Somebody help me that has kids. The closer the contractions get, the sooner we are to the end of days, the sooner we are to the rapture the sooner we are to the last the end of time to understand yes there needs to be an urgency we don't have all the time in the world the devil is a liar and he's trying to tell you that you have time to get your act together no you don't listen if you're not right with God if you're not where you need to be this is the time whether you're in your car driving at a barbecue working I hope that there is an urgency tonight. I hope you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I hope you feel the power of God to make you understand that, man, I don't have time to play church. I don't have time to play religion. I don't have time to just sit on the fence and just do whatever I want to do and just try to build my nice life. We have to understand that we are in the last moments of history, friend. I'm not this, you know what, I'm gonna stop saying that. I always say, I'm not this gloom and doom preacher. I'm not gonna apologize for preaching what the word of God says. Stop letting the devil lie to you, thinking you can deal with God later. You can deal with your compromise later. The time to repent is now. The Bible says in the book of Acts, God calls all men everywhere to repent. So we need to repent. We need an urgency. We don't have time to play around. We need to live with a healthy sense of urgency. It is healthy for a believer to live with a sense of urgency. But if you look at the climate of the American church or the church at large, there's no urgency any longer. We live in a church that's like, what, what sermon series are we gonna do next month? And what are we gonna do next month to get by? And we're just gonna show up for an hour and just try to get by and get by and get by. And if the American church 
wants to just keep getting by, it's going to get left because we're playing around in the pews having bingo night while the enemy takes territory. I'm telling you, I prophesy that God is raising up these last day warriors to take territory, to establish his government. And quite frankly, someone just said in the chat, I'm bored y'all with just playing religion. You gotta get bored with living on the fence. You need to understand that the time is limited, that Jesus can come back at any second, and it's healthy to have a biblical view of the end times, especially because of the time we live in. We're seeing right now what is transpiring on the earth has never happened in human history. So don't sit there and say, oh, they've always been saying this, and they always said that we're in the last days, and this is nothing new. No, understand that what is transpiring right now has never happened before. If there's ever been a time to be vigilant, if there's ever been time to be sober, some of you are drinking the wine of the church. You need to sober up in Jesus' name and you need to open up your eyes because I believe, and I'm gonna prophesy this, that God is waking you up now for a purpose. It is not an accident that you stumbled onto our channel. It's not an accident. Look at right now, just stop and think about. I'm preaching tonight. What is God doing in your life? Think about it right now. All that God is doing, the move of the Holy Spirit, deliverance is breaking out, miracles are breaking out, healing is breaking out, revival's breaking out, and it's not by chance. Some of you say, my whole life, I've never experienced God, and all of a sudden, I'm experiencing something for the first time I've never experienced. I know many of you are watching tonight as a family. I'm talking to your family. Look around. You're going, my kids are experiencing it. I'm experiencing it. My country's experiencing it. I'm experiencing the power of God like I've never experienced the power of God because God is doing something in our generation. God is doing something in our time. And think about it now. You've All of this, all the culmination of things that are happening has brought you to this very moment right now, has brought you to this place of repentance. All of this, the book of Revelation, the end time, all the stuff we're learning about is to bring us to repentance. We're still in the opening few chapters and what is Jesus telling the church? Not Isaiah, not John, to repent. We have to repent and put our faith in Christ. You know, I'm always saying this and I'm always teaching this and pointing people to Christ. We need to put our faith in him. Now, the book of Revelation is what we're going to talk about tonight. But remember about the book of Revelation. As we talk about it, it is not the revelation of the end times, the Antichrist, the mark of the beast. It's the end revelation of Jesus Christ. It's about really knowing him. It's about really getting closer to him. Friend, I'm on this pursuit. Are you on this pursuit? Nothing else matters in my life than getting to know this man named Jesus. I got to know him. I have to encounter him. I have to get close with him. I have to understand what are his desires? What are his dreams? What is his motives? I got to get alone with him and encounter him and learn about him. And so as I'm preaching, there's nothing more significant than learning about the person of Jesus Christ. So if anyone says, oh, you always talk about no we talk about Jesus Christ we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit we talk about God who rules everything all all nations all tongues all tribes are going to bow before him one day he's not weak he's not defeated come on help me preach I'm sweating up in here he's not far off but he rules right now he's a ruling king he's not been defeated so I want you to think about this not only is it the the frequency of events that is a, causing me to understand that we're, we're in the last days, but it's also understand the key to timing. It's not just one sign, it's all the signs that are happening right now because throughout history, it's been one sign or two signs or three signs, but right now we're seeing every sign Jesus talked about when it, when it comes to famines, rumors of war, earthquakes, hurricanes, sickness, pestilence, which is global sickness, 
All of them are happening at one time. Remember in Luke 21, 28, Jesus said, when you see all these things begin to happen, look up, look up. Don't have your head down on your phone all day. Don't have your head buried in the sand. Look up for your salvation is near. So he said, okay, when all these signs, and I feel the fear of the Lord tonight, when all these signs begin to happen, I want you to understand that your salvation is near. Your salvation being the rapture of the church, the Lord coming and saving his, his bride, saving his church. So it's this collection of events. And I want you to understand as we go into this tonight, end times and last days are different. If you're new, the last days are the time leading up to the rapture and tribulation, which we're in now. The seven-year period of the tribulation is considered the end times, okay? So right now, we are in the last days. First John chapter 2, verse 18 says, Dear children, the last hour is here. Okay, think about this. This was written thousands of years ago. Dear children, the last hour is here and you've heard that the Antichrist is coming and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. So John is saying 2,000 years ago that we are in the last hour. So is it possible that if 2,000 years ago we were in the last hour, then we're in the last minutes? Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 says, And that time Michael the archangel who stands guard over your nation will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish. Listen to what it says. Greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Are you guys hearing this? I didn't include that in my video from the weekend of pre-tribulation. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book is going to be rescued. So understand the end times, the tribulation, which in the coming weeks we'll talk about, we've talked about before, we're going to go into more detail, will be the most terrible time in history, and you're not going to be confused when you're in it. So understand right now we are in the last days, and we're reading about the revelation of Jesus Christ. I believe, listen, the Lord told me, okay, go through the book of Revelation, teach on the book of Revelation. I didn't fully understand, like, okay, Lord, I'll do it. I've never done this before. I've never gone through. In fact, the way I'm preaching tonight, I've never done before. The way I preached two weeks ago, I've never done before. So I'm out of my comfort zone, but the Lord said, Isaiah, there's a reason why I'm having you preach this. There's a reason why it's not by chance. We're not randomly spinning a roulette wheel and saying, what are we going to preach on? Should we preach on deliverance? Should we preach on miracles? Should we? No, I'm asking the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to preach on? And I really believe that the Lord is having me teach on this because the days that we live in, because the days and the times that we live in, it's not a coincidence. Some of you are saying, man, my pastor or this person started teaching on it at the same time. It's because the Holy Spirit, listen to me tonight, is speaking to the church. So I want to challenge some of you. Maybe you're not right with God. Maybe you're not right standing with God. Maybe you're riding the fence and maybe you're playing games. Come on, share this broadcast. It's time to get serious. Isaiah, are you trying to scare me? That's absolutely what I'm trying to do. The Bible says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So I'm persuading you. And you know what? Thank the Lord that he's opening up our eyes. Thank the Lord that he's making us aware that he is coming back for his bride and that we are living in the last days. This is the best time to be alive. This is the best time to serve God because we have the power of God available. Now, tonight is going to be very convicting. I was convicted as I was preparing, as I was studying, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to take these words, not as if Isaiah was sharing them with you because I'm just the messenger, but take these words as if Jesus was speaking to you. If you're in the chat and you say, man, God doesn't speak to me clearly, or I don't hear God. Well, you're going to hear God for the next 45 minutes to an hour. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Say, Lord, I have, I, my ears are open. I'm tired of letting all these distractions 
of the culture hold me down. So we're going to pick up in chapter three, all verses tonight. If you have your Bible, if you're going through, if you're not, praise the Lord for it, are going to be in the new King James version. That's all the verses tonight. We're just going to keep it in the new King James just to keep it, you know, synonymous throughout to keep it all parallel. But I'm going to go through verse by verse because last week it was a little bit or two weeks ago, it was a little bit hard to keep track. I was watching some of it back and it was hard to kind of track what verse I was at, what area I was teaching. So it's going to help if you follow along. We're going to go verse by verse, but chapter one and two, if you just are jumping in, this we are on part two is john having his encounter he's now writing seven prophetic letters to seven churches now many scholars believe that each church was part of a church age so there was this church age that church age and many scholars believe that we're in the seventh church age which is the church of laodicea the lukewarm church which we'll talk about tonight but chapter three is the last three churches the first church in chapter three is so relevant to all of us listening to us tonight all of us listening again please don't think of this this is some book written thousand years ago the word of god is alive the word of god is active the word of god is relevant and god is going to speak to every single person a relevant message tonight so the first church in chapter 3 in verse 1 revelation chapter 3 verse 1 is where we're at is the church of sardis ephesus is the fifth church i'm sorry the church of sardis is the fifth fifth church the fifth letter and this is the church if you're taking notes of pretenders this is the church of those that are pretending like many of us pretending to be on fire for god and i don't know about you but i don't want to live a fake christian life I don't want to live pretending. I don't want to go through the motions and the status quo of religion and have a form of godliness but deny the very power that can make me like God. Revelation chapter three, verse one, and to the angel of the church in Sardis, remember the angel is the pastor, it's the messenger, write these things, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, listen what he says, that you have a name that you are alive, but you're dead this is the lord speaking to his church this is the lord speaking to us tonight he says i know that you have a name you have a reputation one translation says you have a reputation that you are alive but you are dead now you might say well what are the seven spirits of god that he's talking about here because this is from the seven spirits of god the seven spirits of god refer to the seven fold nature of the holy spirit these are the seven virtues which revelation is going to call the seven spirits of god remember in revelation chapter one we're going to hear about the seven spirits of god the seven spirits of god are also at the throne and then right now he's addressing revelation chapter one uh, three verse one this is an address from the seven spirits of god now all of these there's a lot of debate on what these are i'm going to tell you what i believe is the most biblical translation again i don't know everything i'm not right on everything i'm going to give you what i believe the seven spirits being the sevenfold virtues of the holy spirit and this is found in isaiah chapter 11 verse 2 and the spirit of the lord shall rest upon him the bible says the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and his del delight should be shall be in the fear of the Lord and so there is the seven spirits the seven virtues of the Holy Spirit the spirit of the Lord is the nature of Jesus the spirit of wisdom is the ability to make right decisions the spirit of understanding is the ability to understand everything the spirit of counsel is the ability to give sound advice the spirit of might is the power to do what God wants done. The spirit of knowledge is the ability to know things beyond human comprehension. And the spirit, the seventh spirit is the spirit of the fear of the Lord is the ability to respect and honor the will of God. These are the seven spirits of God. And these are the virtues of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? When you have the Holy Spirit, 
You have the seven spirits of God guiding you. You are able to walk in the nature of Jesus. You're able to make the ability to make right decisions. You're able to have the ability to understand things, the ability to give people sound advice. If you ever wonder like, man, I gave really good advice. That's the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might. That's the spirit of the power of God of doing things. When you're casting out demons, when you're healing the sick, that's the spirit of might. It's a virtue of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of knowledge. This is when God gives you the ability to, to see and understand beyond human comprehension it's like the word of knowledge like i would have never known that but the spirit of knowledge which is one of the virtues of the holy spirit gives me ability to get information beyond human comprehension i know a lot of you're like you're going too fast listen guys we're trying to go through the whole book of revelation and we're going by every verse by verse so let me just talk fast you can watch it back on 0.5 later because it's it takes time to go through this and so let me talk fast that's how i talk let me talk loud that's how i talk and just bear with me you can watch it again on replay if you need to take notes and then he goes the spirit of the fear of the lord we need the spirit of the fear of the Lord like never before. For many of us, there's no fear of the Lord in our life. We, we just blatantly live however we want, talk however we want, drink whatever we want, watch whatever we want, do whatever we want. There's no fear of the Lord. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you have to understand that without the fear of the Lord, there is no wisdom. There is no power. There is no deliverance. There is no miracles. We need the fear of the Lord. We need to walk in the fear of the Lord. Paul was a man that walked in the fear of the Lord. David was a man that walked in the fear of the Lord. David said, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. There's a fear that I'm going to lose your power and your presence. Do not take it from me. So those are the sevenfold spirits of God. So Jesus says this, I know your works. He knows the works. He rebukes them and says, I know your works don't try and fake it we act like god doesn't know us he goes no listen i know your works before I even before you try to fake your way out of the rebuke don't think you're better than you really are i remember one time i was praying i've shared this story before and these uh, these other famous preachers were around and we were in a prayer meeting and i was like man i want to try to sound you know like i know what i'm praying i know what i'm talking about and i started walking around praying out loud so that they could hear me this is like years ago and i was like i decree i declare i mean i was praying all the stuff that you can think of all these fancy elaborate prayers and then the holy spirit says said to me i know you i know your works i know how you pray in other words stop being fake I know who you really are. You can fake it all you want, Isaiah. You can pray a certain way. You can act super spiritual in front of people. He goes, but I know your works and I know how you actually pray. So understand, friend, tonight, the Holy Spirit knows your works. He's not rebuking us because, yeah, there's a lot of rebuke happening tonight and there will be a lot of rebuke happening because this is him rebuking the church. But understand, God says, don't try to fake it. Why are you acting fake? It's like putting on clothes to go through an x-ray machine as if it can't see right through you. And God is saying so many of us are trying to cover up the fact that we've lost our passion, that we've lost our fire, that we've lost his power in our lives and that we are fake, that we're fake Christians, we're pretenders. We're going through the motions, but when we evaluate, when Paul said evaluate yourself, measure yourself, we understand that there's no real fruit in our life. There's no real passion in our life. Now, Sardis is not like the church of Thyatira. Thyatira, the last works, the Bible says, were greater than the first works. So the church was getting progressively better, okay? But Sardis, the church is getting progressively worse. These believers 
went from a place of power, a place of intimacy, a place of evangelism, and they were decreasing in their faith. Understand that's many of us here tonight, we're decreasing. There was a passion we once had. How do I know if I'm decreasing? Because I remember what I was and I'm not what I was any longer. There was a time where I was more passionate. There was a time where I prayed more. There was a time where I fasted more. There was a time where I was genuinely more hungry for God. If that's what you could say, then you're like the church of Sardis. You're degressing. You're decreasing. You're not increasing. And God is a God of increasing. Now, Jesus said Sardis has a reputation. They have a reputation of being alive but you're actually dead. It had become a church in name only, a pretend church and one that was going through the motions. Come on, I I hope this is touching you tonight. This was the church that everybody knew about. They had the light machines. They had the fog machines. They had the smoke. They had the programs. They had service after service packed out. And everybody was like, that's the church. That's the church. And then here comes Jesus writing this letter to this church through John. And he goes, you're all about reputation. You're all, you're all pretend. You're all fake. You're all smoke. You're all fog. Everything, everyone thinks you're on fire, Ephesus. I mean, uh, Sardis. Everyone thinks you're passionate, Sardis. Everyone thinks you're spiritual. Come on, are you Sardis tonight? He goes, you're the church everybody goes to. He says, but you are actually dead. And my view of you is different than everybody else's view of you. I wonder if that's us tonight. I wonder if that's me tonight, that everybody has this view of you. Everybody has this view of the church. He goes, but my view is completely different. Would God say, about you, think about this, this is heavy here. Would God say about you what everybody else says about you? Would God say about you what you say about you? This is the perfect example of the American church putting on a show to look good, making everything look good so that people think we're alive, but we're really dead. And some of us are so good at putting on a show, but I believe tonight that it's time to take off the mask. It's time to quit the show. It's time to stop faking it till we make it. You gotta get tired. You gotta get tired of faking your way through the day. You gotta get tired of putting on a front and acting like you have it all together and coming tonight humbly and saying, Lord, guys, I travel and people always introduce me that your reputation is how people introduce you. So they'll take, I'll go somewhere and you know, we go to the event and they say, oh man, this is Isaiah Saldivar. This is, this will be a pastor introducing me to another pastor. They'll say, oh man, he's so on fire for God. And then he prays, he does. And they'll, they'll just give my resume and my reputation. And God is saying, does how they introduce you match who you really are? Are you really that passionate, Isaiah? Are you really that humble, Isaiah? Are you really that radical, Isaiah? Or are you having a reputation, but really you're dead? Friend, I don't want to have a reputation that I'm alive. I don't want to have a front that I'm alive, but really be dead like so many leaders and pastors. I really want to know him, like for real. Like the way that you guys all see me. I want to have that same passion all the time. I want to live that all the time. I don't want to fake it till I make it. I don't want to put on a front. So if somebody said, if you ask somebody, what, do you, what would you say about my Christianity? And they said, oh, you're radical. Oh, you're passionate. Oh, you're hungry for God. Oh, you're this. Is that really who you are? Or what about what you say you are? 
when you're on Facebook, when you're on Instagram, when you're on TikTok, and when you're acting a certain way, God is looking not for perfection. He's looking for authenticity. Write that down. He's tired of fake. He can't stand fake. And so many of us has be, have become good like Sardis are putting on a show. Revelation chapter 3, verse 2. And he says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. So Jesus told the church in Sardis, wake up and stay awake. He says there's certain aspects of your faith and certain practices you have that are still alive, but you need to be, oh, come on, I feel the Holy Spirit tonight, but you need to be more serious about your faith, more serious about your worship, more serious about your studying, more serious about ministering to people, more serious about discipling your kids, more serious about fasting, about holiness. He said, there's something there, there's something small. He goes, but you need to strengthen it. It's about to die. Now, when, he, when John's receiving this revelation, it's not for his own personal knowledge. He was told to write this down for others. God is saying this tonight. What remains? What, what is there? If you feel dead on the inside, what little remains? Is there a little prayer life there? Is there just a little bit of holiness left? Is there just a little spark? Is there just a little passion? God says, I want you to strengthen it. Don't play with this. Some of you right now, you're on the verge of dying. Your spiritual life is on the verge of dying. And the Lord's saying there's something little there remaining that's about to die. It's ready to die. Some of you are on the verge of your prayer life dying. You're on the verge of your fire dying. You're on the verge of your passion dying. It's so close, but thank the Lord that tonight the trumpet is sounding. Come on, share this, that God is giving us a chance to strengthen it. Now, would you rather hear this message tonight and be convicted and say, man, I got to strengthen this a little bit left, or would you rather just die out and never have a chance to, have the fi to live on fire for God? Never have a chance to stand before God. I thank God that he's rebuking us tonight. I thank God that these letters were written to these churches and relevant for today so that we can get our fire and our passion back. He says, I've not found your works perfect before God. In other words, God has a standard and going through the motions does not meet God's standard. Having services does not mean you're in God's service, does not meet God's standard. Remember, they're having church. They're the talk of the town. So having church or going to church is not enough because he's writing believers. Are you all catching this? He's writing believers that are going to church that have it all together. He goes, but you're dead. It doesn't meet my standard. And friend, I know you've been listening to all these Sour Patch Kid preachers and all these watered down popcorn Instagram microwave leather pants preachers that are preaching, oh, Jesus is just nice. There's no standard. Live how you want. Have you read Revelation chapter three, Mr. Preacher, Mr. False Preacher, that he says, you've not meet the standards, the perfect standards of my God. You've, your works are not perfect before our God. Understand that God is looking. Now, how could I ever attain the standards of God? Here's the beauty. You can't, apart from the shed blood of Jesus, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't. But friend, you have to understand you can't live fake and expect God to just keep moving in your life. You can't live fake and expect the blood of Jesus and the power of God. You have to understand having services is not enough. Friend, going to church is not enough. They preached about it. They had services about it, but they didn't do what God called them to do. And God said, you don't meet my standard. 
The church of Sardis was sitting around hiding behind their reputation. Why weren't they going after God? Because they had a reputation. They didn't need to. Why weren't they passionate? Because they had a reputation. It's time to put down the reputation and to pick up the cross. Let me say that again. It's time to put down the reputation and pick up the cross. Who, listen to me, who cares what people think about you if you're dead on the inside? Some of you know this, you're dead on the inside and you go to bed and you're miserable and you go, everybody thinks I'm on fire, but I'm dead. And friend, I've been there plenty of times, dead on the inside, saying, God, help me, picking myself up, getting done preaching. I've done 15 services in one week before, 10 services in one week before. I remember one week I did a Wednesday morning, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, Thursday night, Friday morning, Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night. I did like, I don't even know how many that is, like over 10 services in one, five different hotels in Southern California one week. And I laid in my bed saying, Lord, strengthen what little remains. Lord, I don't want to lose your presence. I don't want to get so busy working for you that I forgot about you. And some of you need to do this. You need to strengthen that spark that's still there. You need to strengthen that passion that's still there. You need to hang on to this. You need to realize like, man, I'm dead. I need the presence of God. I need revival. I need the Holy Spirit. I need, I need humility. I need to be vulnerable before God. Now, some of you are sitting here going, you feel condemned saying, I have nothing to strengthen. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. There's a spark in Jesus' name. There's a little passion there. There's a little flame left. Don't let the devil lie. There's some passion, and the Lord is saying to strengthen it. Revelation chapter 3, verse 3. Remember, therefore, he says, this is why we're going to take a five years to get through Revelation because I go so long on every single verse. Remember, therefore, how you've received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I come upon you. Jesus, like he told the church of Ephesus, remember and return. He's giving the church of Sardis similar, come on, we just broke 3,000, similar instruction. He goes, here's the answer. What's the answer, Isaiah? What's the answer, Jesus? Remember the better days. Remember how you received and heard. Remember when you had that fire. Now repent because you've changed. You have a, you're dead now. You're different now. And friend, I want to go back to that hunger and that passion that I once had. He goes, remember when you first received forgiveness? Remember the night you heard about eternal life? Remember when you first heard about me and you were in awe and you were intrigued? He says, I want you to hold fast and I want you to repent. I want you to remember when you received the teaching and the gospel. Jesus wanted his followers to recognize that they had backslid and needed to return to his original teachings. Repentance, write this down, is non-negotiable. You need to change the way you think because your thinking is all wrong. Pride says, I don't need to repent. I'm right in my own eyes. But repentance says, I'm wrong. It's not my way. It's Yahweh. I need to follow the way that God has for me. So he says, listen, if you don't, I'll come upon you as a thief and you'll not know the hour. Be ready. So when I come, you're not shocked and you're not left because I'm coming like a thief in the night. And if you're playing church, if you're busy having bingo night, pastor, I'm going to come suddenly like a thief. So you need to be ready. Now history shows, this is the historical context of the church of Sardis. Historical context, two separate occasions, enemy armies had surrounded Sardis and the guards of the city fell asleep. This actually happened in Sardis. And each time the guards fell asleep, 
the opposing army slipped in and captured that embarrassed city. So Jesus is using this example because he's saying, I want you to remember you guys have been conquered two times while you were sleeping and the enemy came in while you were sleeping. So if you do not return to worship, if you don't return to believing, if you don't return to holiness, if you don't return to living the way you used to live, you're not going to recognize the prophetic signs of my coming and the rapture will catch you asleep. You're going to miss my coming. You're going to be like the foolish virgins that missed the coming of the Lord. And this was the, this was the analogy here. I'm getting ready to come. So don't fall asleep. Don't be a sleeping guard. Don't be a sleeping Christian. You need to stay awake for the sake of the hour that we live in because the Lord can come back. I know it's old school. I know you're like, oh, I'd never hear young people preach this, but I'm telling you, we need to be ready for the return of the Lord. Revelation chapter three, we're in verses four and five. He says, you have a few names, even in Sardis. Listen to this. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and I will not blot his name out from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Jesus says this, I know every single person, listen to me tonight. I know every single person in every single church by name. Now, not many people in Sardis were faithful, but there was a couple that could be identified and these were the ones Jesus was talking about. So he said, listen, there's the church, they have a reputation, but they're dead. And there's a few names of a few people that I know are faithful. So Jesus knows in every single church who's faithful and who's not by name. Jesus can look at a church and say, this person's faithful to me, this person's not. So let me ask you this, does he know your name? Are you one of those that is faithful to him? Are you one of those that knows him and that he knows you and that he knows your name? He said, these are the ones. Now, what makes Jesus know our name? According to Revelation, the ones that refuse to be defiled, that their garments are not defiled by sin, the ones that refuse to be dirtied or influenced by the culture around them, he promised that they would walk with him in white robes. So he says, listen, you've refused the culture. You've refused to go through the motions. You refuse to be like everybody else. And so now you're going to walk. You're not going to be walking in dirty garments like all the people in the church, but you're going to walk. And remember, this is to the church. For all of you that are like, don't be so harsh on the church. This is a letters to the churches, not to unbelievers. And he says, I'm going to give you garments. Why? Because they sincerely served Jesus as their Lord and master. They walked by the power of the Holy Spirit and they lived holy lives. Now, I want you to notice a lot of you that are like once saved, always saved. You're not going to like this because Jesus says, I will not blot your name out of the book of life. Now, if you believe once saved, always saved, which I don't believe that you're not going to like that or you're not going to understand that because it shows that Jesus is telling a church, I will blot your name out of the book of life if you don't turn to me if you don't repent. So how serious is this? It's serious enough that Jesus says, I'm going to blot your name out of the book of life. If I don't know you and you've walked in defiled garments, I'll blot your name out. Now, then he says, I'll also, there's what I'm going to do. I will not blot your name out, but instead here's what I'm going to do. I love this. I get so excited hearing about this because I believe he knows my name. I will confess your name before my father. And then here's what he says. And before his angels, wouldn't this be an incredible thing to be in heaven and hear Jesus proclaim your name before the father and before angels? Now this reiterates what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, because remember in Matthew 10, 32, Jesus said, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess before my father who's in heaven. But anyone who denies me before men, 
I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. So three promises, write this down. Three promises for those who walk right before the Lord. Number one, they will walk in right robe, white robes. Number two, he will not blot their names out. Number three, he will acknowledge them before God and the angels. Come on. I want to walk in white robes. I don't want my name to be blotted out. And I want the Lord to say, Isaiah, Luke, Saldivar, well done, good and faithful servant, and have the Father there and have all the angels cheering me on as the Lord proclaims my name. Or I'll be the other one where my name, think of a white eraser. My name is blotted out. Now I want you to understand something. A name can't be blotted out if it's not first put in. So this is not unbelievers. This means that your name could be in the book of life. And then Jesus says, because you've denied me and you didn't obey what I'm telling you, you need to do, you didn't repent. I'm going to actually like white out your name. I'm going to blot your name out. And so when we look into the book of life, we're not going to, your name won't be there. And when the father says, and you're standing before me on judgment day, and the father says, Jesus, I don't see their name in the book of life. Do you know them, Jesus? And you look at Jesus, and because you've denied Jesus before men, Jesus says, I don't know who that is. Friend, do you understand how serious this is tonight? Do you understand how real this is tonight that we get serious with God? The Revelation 3, 6 is the last part of this letter. Of this letter. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is going to keep telling us over and over and over, hear what I'm trying to tell you. Don't listen. Don't think you're fine. And guys, I'm talking as loud as I can. I wish I could shout this louder. Don't think this is, you're fine. Don't think you're okay. You need the fear of the Lord. You need to have those seven spirits of God that walk in the fear of the Lord. You need this. We all need to evaluate ourselves. We all do. That's the church of Sardis. And then we're going to go into the church of Philadelphia. That's revelation. I need it guys. These next few teachings I do on this, I need to start going faster because I'm, I just, I'm, I'm, this is exhaustive. This is in depth here. I'm doing every single verse revelation chapter three, verse seven and to the angel. Now we're going to the church of Philadelphia and to the angel, to the church of Philadelphia, right? These things says he who is holy, he who is true. And he who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. So holy and true are the attributes of God. This is the nature of deity. So when we put this together, we know Jesus is the true God. Jesus is not like a lesser God. Jesus is God. He's not a false God. This is what he's trying to tell the church. I'm not some false God like your gods today, like Ishtar, Mother Earth, and Gaia, and Diana, and Sophia, and all your fake deity, new age worship. I am the only living God. I'm the one that is holy. I'm the one that is true. And I'm the one who has the key of David that any door I open, come on, help me preach, Holy Spirit. Any door that I open, no man can close. And any door that I close, no man can open. Now, when he says, he who has the key of David, this is taking us back to an Old Testament uh, Old Testament story where there was a priest named Eliakim who held the office of the key holder in King David's palace. So King David had a key holder who had all the keys to every single room. He had full access to David's palace and he's, his office gave him full authority to be, act on behalf of the king. So if he unlocked a palace door, it stayed unlocked. If he locked the palace door, he's the only one that has the keys. And just like Eliakim, Jesus said, I'm the ultimate key holder. No matter what door it is, listen to me tonight. If Jesus opens it, no man can close it. And if Jesus closes it, no man can open it. 
If God opens a door for you, do not be afraid of someone closing it. No one can close. Come on, I need someone to help me shout tonight. No one can close the doors that God is opening. They can try to, but write this down. The doors that God is opening are unclosable. And here's how this letter opens. Jesus is holy. He's the true God. He's the key holder. He's the one that opens and shuts. And he's the one that controls all things. Not a door is opened in heaven or on earth unless the Lord himself knows about it and does it. And if God opens it, the devil can't shut it. Revelation chapter three, verse eight. I know your works. Here we are again. Are you guys seeing this? Here we are again. I know your works. See, I set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, but you have kept my word and you've not denied my name. Now we're seeing the church of Philadelphia, polar opposite of the church of Sardis, who's defiled, who's rejected the Lord, who has a reputation. Now we have, but I want you to notice what he says about Philadelphia. He recognizes that they have little strength. He's saying, listen, I understand that you have little strength. Come on, type one if you have little strength. I'll type one right now in the chat. Hold on, let me stop and type one. Let me just type, there we go, I just typed one. He says, I recognize that you have little strength, that you're not this strong and mighty and educated and qualified. Come on, I'm 130 pounds, I got little strength, help me tonight. And he says, but here's the thing, when I'm on your side, when I'm on your team, it doesn't matter what little strength you have because nobody can stop what I'm doing. Many of you think, oh, Satan's gonna stop me. Satan can't close the door. Satan can't close the door. If God has opened the door, he says no one can open it. If I'm with you, nothing can stop me. Nothing can stop you, friend. I came to preach to somebody that all you need is God on your side. When God is on your side, you have you are the overwhelming majority. You have overwhelming, the Bible says you have overwhelming victory in Christ. Like, not like, oh, that we won the game by 19 to 17. You won the game 180 to zero. It was a blowout. They didn't score one goal. The devil didn't score one time on you. If I'm with you, nothing can stop you. If I be for you, who can be against you? Friend, you're more than a conqueror. You're not defeated. The Bible says you're seated with Christ in heavenly places, that you have the power of God. You have the spirit of God living on the inside of you. So some of you, some of you think, oh, if I just have this minister, if I have this famous preacher to help me or join me, I just need Isaiah to call me and message me and just come deliver me. No, you don't. No, you don't. All you need is God. Friend, when I started out, I didn't have a famous minister. I didn't have a denomination or a person to connect with. I'd never been a part of a denomination or a group. All I had was God. I had God that was on my side and I was an atheist and the Lord said, I'm going to use you. And I said, okay, well, I don't know anybody. So good luck trying to use me because I don't know any connections and I'm how am I? And within a year, I was on the biggest stages in the America, in the church. Why? Because God said, I'm on your side and you better believe baby. If I open up a door, then no man can close the door. You don't need anybody on your side. I didn't have no one promoting me on YouTube. I didn't have no one promoting me. I don't have any brand deals or Facebook deals. None of it. I got on, started going live, went from having 200 listening to right now, 3,100. Why? Because God says, I'm the one opening the door, Isaiah. 
So stop thinking you need if a pastor will open the door for me. You got God living on the inside of you as I lose my voice. You have the spirit of God. You don't need no man to open a door. Stop with all this foolishness of, I just need your mantle, Isaiah. You don't need my mantle. You need the power of the Holy Ghost. I don't want your mantle. I don't want, you don't want my mantle. You need to ask the Lord. Stop worshiping famous preachers and, and say, Lord, I need you. It's all about God. If God be for you, who can be against you? Revelation 3, 9. We're in verse nine, chapter three now. We've, we're an hour in and we've gone nine verses. Praise the Lord. Indeed, I will make those. Now here's, this is very interesting. Listen to what he says here to the church of Philadelphia. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. So these are the ones that wanted the church in Philadelphia. These are the Jews in Philadelphia that had a synagogue that wanted the, the believers there to deny the name of Jesus. They refused, and there's many Jews that do, they refused to believe in Jesus or the gospel, and they worshiped at a synagogue. Now here's what I want you to understand. These were not Satanists. These were not witches, which there were in that time. That's, these were not them. So it's not the temple of Simon the Sorcerer. This were Jewish synagogues, Okay. This is a Jewish synagogue, and here's what Jesus calls it, the synagogue of Satan. Think about the harsh words that the Lord reserved for those that were religious. And some of you are like, oh, you need to be nice to religious people. He said, your synagogue is not a Jewish synagogue. It's the synagogue of Satan, because you say you're Jews, but you deny Jesus. God is not going to tolerate religion. He doesn't have time for it. Now, they refused to believe in Jesus, and Jesus called their, their synagogue which was a synagogue dedicated to the Lord, you said your synagogue is a synagogue of Satan. Now, some of you are soft because you're serving a soft Jesus and you're serving Jehovah Santa Claus and you're not serving the God of the Bible. But you need to get back to the Bible, pastors, and you need to start reading and preaching the scripture and not preaching what you heard at Rick Warren's church on Sunday. You need to start preaching the word of God, preaching the strong gospel, and stop recycling what you heard all the mega churches preach. Again, nothing against Rick Warren, but you just recycle. I had one guy tell me, yeah, all these guys, they just get whatever Rick Warren preaches and they all re-preach it every Sunday at all these mega churches. Stop recycling, get alone with God, and start understanding Understanding that God is not soft like you. God is not weak like you. God is not far off and passionless like you. Understand these were harsh words. Now he said this, they're going to worship at your feet. Notice what he says. They're not going to worship you, but they're going to worship me. They're going to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and they're going to do it at your feet. Because remember, every knee will bow and every tongue is going to confess so you either bow now write it down you either bow now or you bow later but there's going to come a day where you bow so understand what he's saying is people aren't always what they claim to be remember in john 8 44 told a group of jews who said god was their father he said you are you are of your father the devil jesus ain't plain John 8, 44, he goes, your father's the devil to the Jews. And even the apostle Paul said in Romans chapter nine, that not all Israel who are of Israel. So you have to realize just because you say you're a Christian and you're religious or you're a believer, it's like I was raised in church, doesn't matter. Don't think you're, you're safe because you were raised in church. You could be raised in church and not raised in Christ. So realize many people are gonna fail to live up to their spiritual claims. And this was true excuse me, of the Jews in Philadelphia, and it's true of the church today. Not everyone who says they're a child of God is. There's many believers right now that are not genuine Christians. Verse 10, but because you've kept my command to per per persevere, I will also keep you. This is very important verse. 
I will also keep you from the hour of trial that shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now, Jesus is promising he's going to keep his church from the tribulation period, which we'll get to later as we study this book. But what he's saying is, I'm going to keep you from the hour of testing. This is my wrath being poured out, which if you don't know what the tribulation is, it's the wrath of God being poured out on the earth. And he says, I'm going to keep you from this hour of trial that will dwell and come upon the entire earth. God is giving us divine protection. And you're going to see later why we're pre-tribulation, because as you go through Revelation, you're going to notice it's, it's, I don't know how it's even possible to not believe in the pre-trib and study the book of Revelation. Revelation 3.11, here's what he says. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Are you seeing a theme here? Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Now, some think Jesus was telling Philadelphia church he was coming soon. This was not what he was saying. He was telling them that when he comes back, his return is going to be very fast. Matthew 24, 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will also the coming of the Son of Man be. So the return of the Lord, the rapture of the church, is going to be in an instant. It's going to be in a twinkling of an eye, in a blink of an eye. It's not going to be a process. It's going to be extremely fast. But then he says, what an incredible statement. Think about this. He says, hold fast that no one will take your crown. Let nobody do. This is what he's saying. Don't let anybody do what God has called you to do. It's possible that someone takes your call and fulfills your call. And what he's telling the church in Philadelphia is to hang on to your calling. Don't let anybody take your reward. Don't let anybody steal your calling. I don't know about you, but I don't want to get it to heaven one day and see somebody else wearing my crown. Imagine being in eternity and seeing somebody else wear their crown for all of eternity, having my reward because I was too busy storing up earthly treasures. Revelation chapter three, verses 12 through 13. He who overcomes, I'm going verse by verse, okay? For all of you that are like, you're just picking a verse. I'm going literally going verse by verse. If you're not, don't know that, you're obviously not listening. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him, this is very important, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. So there's two names there, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name, he who, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Again, our whole goal of teaching Revelation is to make it practical and understanding. Those of you that would read that are like, I have no clue what he's talking about. Jesus is saying this, I'm going to promise this to those that overcome. I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. In other words, he says, I'm going to make you strong. I'm going to make you durable. And I'm going to make you stable in the house of God. You're not going to be a wishy-washy Christian. You're going to be a pillar in the temple. You're going to be a pillar in the church. You're going to be a pillar in the house of God. How many of you know people that every week they're going through this and going through that and one day they're on fire, one day they're not? One day they're at the church. One day they're not at the church. He says, here's what you got to realize. I will make you durable. If you're an overcomer, if you follow me and if you overcome these things, I'm going to make you durable. I want to be durable. And then he says, you shall go out no more. So in other words, I'm going to make you secure. You're going to have a desire to stay with me forever. You're not, nothing's going to move you. You're not going to go out anymore. You're not going to go out to the party and the club and the drinking and go out looking for love in all the wrong places. You're not going to be wandering around aimlessly from church to church, relationship to relationship. You're not going to go out, but I'm going to keep you secure eternally. I'm going to watch over you and you're going to have a desire 
to, oh, come on, I feel the Holy Ghost strong tonight. Type one if you feel the Holy Spirit. You're going to have a desire to stay forever. No one's going to move you out of my hand. Friend, I want that desire. I have nothing to go back to. I don't want to be back and forth. I want to stay in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I want to know him all the days of my life. I want that desire to be secure. And tonight, God is going to, I'm telling you, God's speaking to us tonight. God is speaking to us tonight through these letters. You're going to remain secure. He's our right on him. Jesus will write three things upon the foreheads of his followers. Okay. Three things are going to be written. He says the name of God that will designate you as a child of God, the name of his eternal home, which is the new Jerusalem and the new name of Jesus signifying the personal relationship to the Lord of Lord and Kings of Kings. And those who overcome, they will be citizens in the new Jerusalem and they'll have a special relationship with Christ. Now writing the name of Jesus on the faithful may be, listen to what I'm about to say, Writing the names of Jesus on the faithful, which is what he says he's going to do, may be where Satan gets his idea to write the name of the Antichrist on his followers. Remember, the Antichrist, if you don't know about the Mark of the Beast, I just made a video on it. The Antichrist is going to mark his followers with the name of the beast. 666 is the name of the beast. So, so Jesus says, before the Antichrist rises up, listen to this. Jesus says, I'm going to put my name... I'm going to stamp my name on my followers and the antichrist copies him and says okay okay jesus you're going to put your name on your followers i'm going to put my name on my followers that is the name of the beast 666 is the name of the antichrist and it's going to be written on the forehead of those or on the hand of those who pledge their allegiance to the antichrist but notice jesus says those that pledge their allegiance to me i'm going to mark them with my name so then you, there you have two different markings, two different pledges, two different allegiances. One is to the Lord, and then two is to the Antichrist. So if we pledge and we overcome, the Lord is going to actually stamp us with not just the New Jerusalem, but with his name and his new name. Okay, verse 14 of chapter 3. We're still in chapter 3, praise the Lord. Okay, we're in the church of Laodicea. And to the angel of the church of Laodiceans, right, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now, this is the last church. Many say that this is the church period before the rapture. This is the lukewarm church, probably the most taught about church. And probably if we picked one church, describes a church in America. Now, this church, many scholars say once we're in the seventh church period, which is the seventh letter. And once we see the majority of churches around us fitting this church period, then you know we're about to reach the rapture. So understand that even another sign that I believe we're approaching the rapture is I believe that we are in the seventh church period, which is the church of Laodicea. I hope you're tracking with me. That's the lukewarm church. So here he says, I am the amen. In other words, I have the final word. I'm the amen. I'm the faithful and the true witness. I'm not lying when I tell you this. He's speaking of our condition. When he corrects us and rebukes us, he's speaking truth. So he says, everything I'm saying is absolute truth. You're not going to get out of this. You're not going to fake your way till you make it. God is not a man that he should lie. So if God says it, you can believe it. Revelation 3, 15 through 16. I know your works, that you're neither hot or cold. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. So church members in Laodicea, were not cold, they were not just dead, but they weren't passionate and zealous, they were right in the middle. This is where most of our churches, even in, even in our radical churches, it's like you have a pocket of people that are on fire and we kind of all know who they are, and there's that 30 or 40, 
but the majority of the Sunday morning crowd, they check in, they warm a chair, and they check out. When we do altar calls, they never come forward. They never have prayer meetings. They never lay hands on the sick. They never drive out demons. They are lukewarm. They're right in the middle. So understand there's only three states. There's cold, there's lukewarm, and there's hot. So what are you tonight? Are you cold? Are you are you just indifferent? Are you just there? And there's no passion? Remember, this is believers, not the world. There's no hunger for God. Or are you... And that's, you know, no spiritual life. Or are you lukewarm? Are you indifferent? Do you ride the fence? Are you one foot in the world, one foot out, straddling the line? That's that's lukewarm. You're just kind of like neutral. You're not really, it's not that you're against God. I mean, you go to the revival, you go to the service, but you just never really go all in. There's not really that passion and that zeal. Now, listen, I know people are always like, why do you yell? Why do you talk fast? Friend, you will never be able to say I'm lukewarm. You will never be able to say I'm cold. If there's anything, I would want rather err on the side of you're too radical, you're too passionate, you're too zealous, you're too all in, you preach too much about God, too much about sin, too much about being all in, you preach against sin too much, you preach too much about hell. You pre I would rather err on the side of hot than be cold, than be lukewarm. So the church of Laodicea, they'd become complacent. They were not being persecuted. Come on, America, where are you? They were comfortable, they were pro prospering, they had money, comfort, cars, houses, and they were self-satisfied, and they were doing nothing to evangelize, nothing to grow, and nothing to glorify Jesus. And here's the Lord saying, I wish you were cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out. The only place in scripture, writing this down, where we find something that makes God so sick to the point of vomiting is when he vomits out the lukewarm. It's like if you swallow poison, your body will automatically vomit out the poison. And God is saying that lukewarmness is poison to the body of Christ. And so because you're poisoning my church, I'm going to vomit you out. And remember, lukewarm Christians is not a biblical term. There is absolutely no such thing as a lukewarm Christian because if you're lukewarm, you're not considered a Christian. And I know your pastor's afraid or whatever guy you listen on YouTube is afraid to tell you this, but we need some preachers that are not afraid to preach the truth. If you're lukewarm, you're not considered a Christian. You're not a believer. It's not like God vomits you out into heaven. You don't get vomited out and there's like a spit bucket in heaven where God vomits you out and do, and you're in like a lesser part of heaven. You're not a believer. At this point, you're right in the middle. This is how much the Lord is telling us tonight we need to go all in. Lukewarm people are unmoved by the gospel. There's no conviction about them. There's no passion about them. They don't have the zeal about them. They're just taking up space. Remember the parable of the farmer? I believe it's in Luke 13. And the, 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 the fig tree is just taking up space. And so the farmer says, let's just cut it down. Because for three years it's been taking up space but never producing fruit. This is the lukewarm. Now, the next verse is going to actually tell us why God is so upset. And that's in verse 17. He says, because you say I'm rich I, you, and I've become wealthy and, I've, and I'm in need of nothing and you do not know. Ready for this? You do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He says, you don't need God because you don't feel you need anything. You're comfortable. You have everything you need. And he says, like, if I were to say tonight, who needs more money in the chat? We all would raise our hand, including me. 
If I were to say who needs a new car, we all would raise our hand. If I were to say who needs a new promotion, we all raise our hand. If I say who needs a new uh, worldly possession and this and that, and uh, we all raise our hand. Who needs more health? We all say I need it. And then I say who needs more of God? And the church of Laodicea goes, nah, I'm good. I don't really need more. He says, you say you're in need of nothing. You don't need more of me. He says, but what you don't understand is you're actually miserable. You're spiritually blind and naked and poor, and you don't have, come on, this is good preaching. You don't have a realistic view of yourself. He says, you see yourself in one light, but I see you in another light. And it, this, the problem with it is they prided themselves. This church prided themselves in having a lot in the bank, having buildings, having members of high status, and having material things, and they didn't need anything. But they lost sight of Jesus and his kingdom. It's not enough that we have nice sanctuaries, great gymnasiums, paved parking lots, nice coffee shops, and arcades in our churches if we don't have the presence of God. Worldly treasures are not God's measuring stick. God's measuring stick is your relationship, your fire, your passion. So don't say, well, I don't know if I'm lukewarm. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. If you're lukewarm, tonight God is giving us an olive branch and we're going to pray at the end and we're going to repent and we're going to turn back to God. Now the church in Laodicea, they thought they had it all together because they had high social status. But Jesus said, you're wretched. They thought they were happy, but Jesus said, you're miserable. They thought they were rich, but Jesus said, you are poor. They thought they had clothing, but Jesus said, you are naked. So you might think that you have it all together. But Jesus said, I have a completely different standard. I have a completely different moral law than you do. And you need to see yourself the way this is. I know someone said it's harsh. It is harsh. This is the word of God. And I know it sounds hard, but a lot of people are not preaching this. Revelation chapter three, verse 18. I counsel you. Here's the, here's the solution. I counsel you. Buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you might see. Okay, so here's what he was saying. When you mine gold, it's placed into a red hot furnace, not to destroy it, but to purify it. The ore gets melted down, the impurities are drawn out, and the residue that's left is pure gold. That's how they refine gold. So here's what God is saying. I'm gonna put you in the furnace of testing, and I'm gonna put you through trials, not to destroy your faith, but to refine your faith. Friend, right now, if you are in the trials, if you're in tribulation, if you're in testing, God is not trying to destroy you. God is trying to refine you. Trials refine us. That's why the Bible says, consider it joy when you go through trials because the Lord is refining us. Trials humble us and they draw out sin in our life. Whenever we have trials and we realize, man, I have a lack of faith or I'm not really who I thought I was or I don't have the prayer life I thought I was, it draws out and brings us to repentance and the residue that's left is a repentant Christian. That's what's left after the trial. So if we really want to be rich, we must buy from Jesus with spiritual currency called faith. And remember, the church was naked. They had no covering for their sins. And Jesus told them, put on spiritual garments, white clothing. That is the righteousness of Christ. Anytime you see white clothing or spiritual garments, that's the righteousness of righteousness of Christ that we clothe ourselves with. The finest earthly clothes cannot hide the tiniest sin from God's eyes. We need the righteousness of God. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are, what you wear. When you stand before God on judgment, the only thing that's going to hide our spiritual nakedness is the righteousness of Christ. Jesus said this church was blind. 
What does it mean by being blind? They have no spiritual discernment. They have no discernment. And he says, I want you to seek from me to buy myself to cure your spiritual blindness from the American church is spiritually blind. We can't, we can't discern the times. Jesus told the Pharisees, you can tell the weather and, and what's going to be tomorrow. He says, but you can't discern the hour that you live in. And that's the spiritually blind. They don't have discernment, which we're talking about tomorrow night in the podcast. They just let anything happen. They push people off the altar. We just have anybody do whatever they want. And we just have no discernment, but you need to remember we need spiritual eyes. To Nicodemus, he said, most, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is, one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's in John 3, 3. The apostle Paul said, the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. It's in 1 Corinthians 2, 14. So remember, we need to have spiritual eyes. Okay, Revelation chapter 3, verses 19 through 22. As many as I love, he goes, here's why I'm doing this. If you feel like it's harsh tonight, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. And all I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. So he says this. He goes, I'm going to end chapter three with this. I'm disciplining you because I love you. I'm not trying to hurt you. Just like you discipline your kids. And then after they cry, you go, I only do this because I love you. I'm spanking you tonight because I love you. Remember, whenever a branch produces, he prunes the branch. He cuts the branch so that it could produce more. So God is not mad at you. He's madly in love with you, and he wants you to live a life of obedience. But here's what he says. I knock at the door, and if anyone hears my voice and opens, I'll come in. Here's what he was saying. I'm not knocking on the door of your heart, although I think God can do whatever he wants to do. But in context, he says, I'm knocking on the door of the church. This is the conclusion of the seven letters. He says, I'm outside the church and you're so busy with all your programs, all your outreaches, all your strategies, all your fog machines, all your noise. He says, you don't even realize I'm outside the door of the church, but if you open up the door and let me into the church, I will come in and have fellowship with you. So this is the Lord pleading with his church, begging them. I want to fellowship with you. I want to know you. I want to experience you. I want to encounter you and I want to be with you. Now going into Revelation chapter four, which we won't do tonight because we're an hour and 20 minutes in, we're going to pray right now. And again, um, some of these chapters will be faster. Some of these chapters I'll cover quickly um, coming into the weeks, but understand these were long chapters because they were long prophetic letters from chapter four onwards. Okay. From chapter four, verse one to the very end of revelation is now going to be future events. So chapters one through chapter three is to the letters, the church ages. And then chapter four, I'll just, I'll just wet your appetite here and give you a teaser. We'll go chapter four, verse one. After these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me saying, come up here. I will show you things which must take place after this. That's the, that's the cliffhanger in chapter four, verse one for next time is a door opens. John hears a voice like a trumpet. And this is also a prophetic picture of the church being raptured. And now John's going to be taken up. And for the next 15 plus chapters, John is going to see future events. John's going to begin to see 
the rapture of the church. He's going to see the 24 elders, which we'll talk about. He's going to see the four living creatures, which we'll talk about. The four riders. We're going to talk about the four riders of the apocalypse. He's going to see the war of Armageddon. He's going to see the tribulation, the bowls being poured out. He's going to see the seals being broken. He's going to see the scrolls. All these things John's going to begin to see. Again, we're going to go through all of this. We're going to break it all down. I don't know if we'll, I don't know. I'm torn, guys, whether you guys want to do this every week, whether you want to do every other week, whether you want to break it up with other teachings or you guys are like let's just keep going deep in the book of revelation again i've never done verse by verse teaching i did it two weeks ago and you guys loved it i hope tonight was more clear because i went every single verse as opposed to you just preaching the whole story but i want to let you guys know i really believe that god is teaching his church that god is unveiling the book of revelation so that you could read these things and say what does that mean to be a pillar in the temple of god and then i could come and explain to you guys what is going on explain to you what is the context what was the history of it it's a lot of work guys it took me I don't know, six or seven hours to prepare for this this week, but I really believe God is doing something, but it wouldn't be right if we didn't give everybody a chance to get prayer tonight. If everybody didn't get a chance to get prayer, if everybody didn't get a chance to repent, I believe every one of us, 3,200, that's incredible, guys. It's a holiday, and we have 3,200 people in here. This is incredible. All glory to God, but I really believe God is giving everybody a chance to repent and to turn to him and say, Lord, I don't want to be like the church of Sardis. I don't want to be have a reputation. Some of you right now, you need to repent. Some of you have a reputation right now that you're alive and you're on fire for God and you have this passion, but you're dead on the inside. And the Lord is saying, it's time for you to repent. It's time for you to turn to me. It's time for you to acknowledge me. It's time for you to serve me. It's time to stop living Sunday to Sunday from that reputation religion, that, that dead Christianity and tonight repent to me or maybe you're lukewarm maybe you're lukewarm and you're just like i'm just there i'm not hot but i'm not cold and the lord is going to vomit me out and you know you're not on fire you know you're not passion for god and this is not to bring con condemnation this is to bring conviction and god is speaking to you prophetically right now saying i'm gonna, i want to touch you i want to change you i want to restore you i want to anoint you i want to empower you by my spirit the days of playing church are over. You no more, no more playing church. No more going through the motions. No more watered down, lukewarm, Laodicea, vomit you out of the mouth, church. It's time for you to get serious about me. We are in the last days, guys. I'm going to keep blowing the trumpet just like I preached on deliverance for months and months and months because God said to. God is saying we need to go through this. We need to be aware of the signs and the times. We need to make it practical and we need to repent. The time is short. Who knows? Maybe the rapture's in 100 years. Maybe it's in 500 years. Maybe it's next week. I don't know. But here's what I do know. I'm called to be ready. I'm called to live a blameless life because we are living in the last days. Come on, let me pray for you right now. Let's all begin to pray. Father, I pray right now. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you that you're just inviting us. We thank you that you're convicting us, that you are the one that convicts this, the world of sin. And so, Father, I thank you for your conviction, and I respond tonight. And, Father, we repent. Father, we are wrong change the way we think we repent tonight and we ask you lord to fill us with your holy spirit we ask you lord to break our pride break our arrogance father if we're if we have a reputation of being alive but we're dead i just pray lord that you would restore us tonight i pray god that you would reveal to us tonight that we have a reputation but we're actually dead father if we're lukewarm i pray that we would buy from you i salve i pray that we'd buy from you gold refined by fire god that you are the refiner refine us in your fire lord we need you right now god humble us maybe you need to get on your knees right now lord humble us tonight god humble us tonight god we get on our knees before you we repent god we ask for your forgiveness father if there's any pride in me 
Listen, guys, religious people won't do this. We got to do this. If there's any pride in Isaiah Salivar, Lord, strip me of my pride. Break my pride. Pull it out of me, God. I don't want any pride in my heart. I don't want any pride, God. Lord, I pray right now, just humble us, God. Restore us, Father. Release your fire over us. Convict us, Lord. I pray the fire of God would rest upon our sacrifice tonight. Holy Spirit, I pray that your fire would rest upon our sacrifice tonight. Lord, let us lay down what you're asking us to lay down. Father, right now, I pray you'd reveal to us what your word says. I pray you'd reveal the book of Revelation to us, God. Open up our eyes, God. Open up our eyes so that we can see clearly, so that we can know you clearly, so that we can be washed by the blood of your precious son. Lord, we ask you to wash us in the blood of Jesus. Wash us in your blood, Lord. Wash us, cleanse us right now. Let us, let us wear those white garments. Lord, don't blot, don't blot our names out of your book, Lord. Don't blot our names out of your book, Father. Let us be found worthy for our names. Guys, our names to be proclaimed before the Father and the angels. The rider of the white horse proclaims our name before the Father. Lord, I want my name to be proclaimed before you. So if there's anything that's preventing me from being my name being proclaimed, Lord, remove it. I don't care what it is. I'll get rid of anything. Come on, let him know. I'll get rid of anything, Lord. I want to wear those white garments. I don't want my name to be blotted out, and I want my name to be proclaimed before the Father. Do not deny me, Lord, before the Father. But Lord, right now we repent, we fast, we humble ourselves. Your word says to do it, and we do it, God. We repent, we're wrong. Repentance is you just saying, I'm wrong, Lord, change the way I think. It's a metanoia, it's the changing. And in, the, in, in changing the way you think, your, your lifestyle changes. You do that 180 and you go the other way. Pornography right now, Lord, break it now. Father, break it. Break the power of pornography that has so gripped the church. Break the power of lukewarmness right now. In Jesus' name, Lord, break the power of lukewarmness. Addictions, Father, I pray that you would break it right now. Every addiction, Lord, break it in Jesus' name. Every addiction, Lord, break it in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, have your way. Holy Spirit, have your way. Do it only you can do. Touch them, Lord. Deliver them tonight, God. Deliver them, God. We don't want to be left behind, Father. We don't want to be left behind. We want to really, really, really know you and be ready. Come on, pray this. Say, Lord, make me ready. Lord, make me ready. I I'm praying it. I'm Listen, y'all, I'm, I'm with y'all. I'm praying with you guys. I'll never pray at you or preach to you. I'm with you guys. I'm praying the same thing I'm praying over you. I'm praying over me. Make me ready, Lord. Make me prepared for you to come like a thief in the night. I want my bags to be packed that when the water breaks and it's time to go, that I'm ready to go. There's birth pains, guys. There's contractions happening. Make our family. Come on, begin to pray for your family right now. Lord, make our families ready. What about your kids? What about our kids, guys? What about our kids? Lord, let our kids be ready. Let my daughters be ready. Let our children be ready. I believe that I, I believe all children go to heaven. I don't believe there's any children in hell but I want them to be raised in the way of the Lord. If the Lord tarries and he doesn't rapture them as children, I want them to be ready in the hour that they live in the time that they live in. So Father, make us ready. Make us ready, God. Do what only you can do. Wake our kids up. Wake our kids up. Restore our children, God. Empower them. Release your fire over them. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. We need you to touch us today, God. We need your power today, God. In Jesus' name, forgive us, God. Forgive us, Lord. Open our eyes. In Jesus' name.
Amen. What a good time, guys, tonight. Praise the Lord. I just thank the Lord for giving me strength to preach that. It's not easy, guys. Again, I'm out of my comfort zone teaching um, verse by verse. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.